want to know you see them. They want to know you're watching them, right? Uh, anybody have a hard time with that one? Okay. Your little child comes up to sing up here. There's, there's a gob of people out there, but your child makes eye contact with you and watches you and wants to make sure that you are paying attention to your small child. Uh, your small child is going to the dentist, <laughs> wants you to go back in the room with him or her because you are the, the uh, security point. And constantly the small child is looking at you because that is, you, you are the child's security. You are the one the child looks to and finds comfort in, right? Now, a naughty small child <laughs> is doing something he shouldn't do. And somehow it becomes a he now, not just a he or she. <laughs> and turns and looks, hoping that you're not looking. Because he knows he's doing something, he or she <laughs> knows he's doing something he shouldn't do, right? The same child is over playing with matches. Right? Looks to see if anybody's looking because he wants to know. Today's scripture reading is an interesting passage because it is either a blessing or a threat. Right? It is, it is one or the other, and it all depends on which kind of child you are. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall, shall, shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And if you are a good child, that is tremendously encouraging. And if you are a bad child, it is a tremendous threat. Today we find, in Revelation, we find people trying to hide from God in terror. What a terrible situation to be in. Why would somebody run to a cave during an earthquake? I, I mean, you must be really afraid of something. Because they are more, the answer is because they are more afraid of what is outside than what is in. Uh, the great people opposed to God will beg rocks to fall on them. Uh, anything to keep God from getting them. Today we're going to consider these events. We're going to look at them. Is this literal or is it, is it just symbolic? Uh, what's going to happen? How will people react? And what do you think you do uh, when God is judging you? Do you run to him or from him? So let me read this passage. Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll uh, that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Okay, I want to start with this earthquake and, and the things that are happening. 
because I've been talking a lot about how you know Revelation is what we're looking at here is apocalyptic literature, and, and this is the modern art of prophecy, and it's not what is being said, pictured exactly as much as what is being represented by that. Is, is that what is happening here? Are we talking something about uh, this earthquake is symbolic or something, or is this an actual earthquake? Right? Are, are our stars really falling from the sky, or is this symbolic of, of something like that? And, and there is a lot of symbolism in this, and if we look for a message, you know, what is the message this is conveying, uh, well, well, that uh, um, everything is being shaken up, I mean, because the same literal interpretation, you see the exact same words figuratively, everything is being shaken up, you are shaken to the core, uh, existence, the world is shaken to the core, that's a really powerful message that you can walk away with without there being a literal earthquake, but I'm just going to tell you, I think there's more than symbolism here, I, I think this is literally going to happen. And there has been symbolism of this sort in the Bible. If you want to turn to Isaiah 13, it's kind of an interesting passage because it describes very similar language for an event that's going to happen, or that did happen. Not that's going to happen, but that did happen. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 8 through 13, sounds uh, very similar. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising. The moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and the the, uh, lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And he goes on from that and you go, uh, verse, verse 12, Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the fierce day of his anger. And we find such very similar language. But if we look back to verse 1, it says an oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. If we look forward to uh, verse uh, Verses 17 through 19, it says, Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter you, the young men. They will have no mercy on on, uh, the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children in Babylon. The glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's describing something that happened in, in, in Babylon in the days of Daniel when the Medes and Persians came in and took over the city of Babylon and, and, and took over the kingdom of Babylon. And he's describing an event that happened back then and, and he describes it in the same language that we find in Revelation. You could say, well, this may just be symbolic because I don't think stars fell from the heavens at that time and there were earthquakes, but it is a language describing how much things are shaken up. And, and that language was symbolic, not literal. And so some people choose, and you could choose to say this is another example of the symbology that's being being used, and it's, it's saying, it's talking about how greatly things will be altered, how much things will be shaken up. Uh, and, and I think we could do that, and we could say because it's symbolic here, it's, it's not literal, uh, but just because it, it is symbolic in some places doesn't mean it is symbolic in other places, because I'm going to say they're literal, and I'll, I'll show you why, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is describing the events that take place in the last days. 
And, and the thing that we want to catch about what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is not speaking out of a vision. He is simply speaking. He's not saying, and I saw, and behold, you know, the earth was shaken, and this. He's simply describing things the way they're going to be. And, and we find, again, similar language to this. Chapter 24, verses 7 and 8. Uh, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. And he says famines and and earthquakes in various places. We skip down a little farther and uh, we go to uh, verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of earth will be shaken. And that's actually describing, it's not describing the event we're talking about in Revelation 6, because Revelation 6 chronologically is different. He's describing, Jesus is here describing the, the, the return of Christ the, at the end of the tribulation, where he returns and sets his foot on earth to rule, right? He's describing that event, but he describes it in those same terms. And so what what we find here is, I think we can take that very literally. As I said, he's not speaking in a vision. He's not describing that. He's describing what happens when he returns to earth and and the reality of those events testify to the reality of these events. Uh, And Mark describes it uh, much the same way Matthew does. Luke says, there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And we find this this, this apocalyptic language uh, is, is not necessarily necessarily merely symbolic. Uh, it can be literal. And I think we're moved into a point in, tri- in tribulation or revelation where we are looking at things that are literal, not merely symbolic, even though there is a lot of meaning in them. Uh, sometimes, even in modern art, they make things look like they actually are. <laughs> you know, just because the guy might draw, uh, on one occasion, draw someone with a nose over here and two ears over here, uh, I, I don't understand Picasso, sorry. <laughs> you know, chances are if Picasso wanted to draw something to look actually like we visu- see it, he could have, because these, in order to be a weird artist, you have to be a good artist. I've never understood that, but I accept it as true. Calvin and Hobbes fan, every now and then he breaks down and does good drawings. <laughs> you know, and you go, I thought he drew like that because it was the only way he could draw. <laughs> Reality is, he can draw nice when he wants to, but he draws goofy because it makes a better cartoon. Right, John, in, in giving revelation, he uses this apocalyptic literature, uh, apocalyptic style. Doesn't mean when he wants to describe something actual, he can't do it. And I think that's what's happening here. Uh, we don't want to miss the message of what is happening here, but I think it's not merely symbolic, uh, but it's real. So we look as the sixth seal is opened. What John sees when the sixth seal is open, right? And so we, we look at this. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. That's what he saw. On the earth, a great earthquake so that every mountain and island was removed from its place. That's what he saw on earth. In the sky, the sun became as black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood. The sky rolls back like a scroll. In the heavens, stars fall like fruit. I mean, I don't know fig trees. Maybe some of you guys have been around fig trees. But I've seen other fruit trees, 
You know, and, and, and you'll, you'll go to bed and all this old fruit is, is on the trees and you wake up and there's been a big storm and it's all on the ground. And when I say all, oh, you look up, there's still some up in the trees, you know, but a lot of it has fallen and that's what it has. And that's how he describes what's going on. Well, that's, that's what he sees, right? He's not, he's, he's not making a distinction between cause and effect. And I want to take this and actually present this to be maybe not that supernatural seeming of an event. Uh, once again, uh, the best answer, by the way, is we really don't know what happened. You know, someday, should, should one of us be alive to see this event, we'll go, oh, that's how it worked. You know, because that's how these things are. We can, we can see an awful lot, we can know an awful lot, but until you actually see it happen, you don't know what's going to happen. You can be the planner of the event, but when the event takes place, it will not go exactly as planned. In fact, if, if I ever do a wedding for you, uh, be thrilled to do that. One piece of advice I give when I do a wedding is something will go wrong, right? Has anybody ever been to a wedding where nothing went wrong? <laughs> I know you're not going to raise your hands anyway. But things go wrong. They, but at the end, you're married. And that's what I tell them. Don't worry about what went wrong. At the end, you will be married, right? Because that's how it is. Things, no matter how carefully you plan, and few things are as carefully planned as a wedding where you come out and do a rehearsal and walk through everything the day before, and you think everything will go just the way it did the day before because we walked through everything with the same people, and it doesn't, <laughs> right? Because something's going to happen. So is prophecy. We can sit and we can look and we can know all the pieces and we can see everything, but still, it's, we're not going to be exactly right, okay? So I want to walk into this knowing that what I'm going to tell you will not be exactly right, but it's right enough that we can have a good idea. Uh, and, and here's what I think. I think there's two major events that are the cause, and everything else is effect of those two major events. So, for instance, John is describing what he sees. What happens? The sun turns black, the moon turns red, the sky is rolling back. Could all be effects caused by a great earthquake and a meteor strike, right? Those two events. Because what happens is, is uh, I mean, we have all been blessed these last two summers <laughs> with tremendously hazy, smoky skies where the sun is red, where the moon is red, and we see the effect that these things can have on the sky. Well, imagine what a great earthquake would do to stir up dust. Imagine what a meteorite strike would do to stir up dust and, and, and affect the weather patterns and ca cause great winds. I, out of curiosity, I remembered, I remembered not too long ago in Phoenix, I'm talking about, the, I think the word's a hayboob, uh, the, the, the giant uh, dust hubboob okay thank you uh the giant dust clouds that came in and so i just i just real hit quick hit google and i said phoenix dust storm and there was one in uh, 2011 they had pictures of there was one in 2013 they had pictures of there was one in 2014 they had pictures of there was one in 2018 they had pictures of and these things are massive pictures a, a dust cloud half a mile high, as far as the horizon can see, impenetrable, moving towards you. Kind of like a scroll being rolled up. And, and I picture, I think we see what this thing's going to look like. 
right? How would you describe that? I mean, you could describe it. You could say, well, it looked like a habub. Hab- 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 <laughs> it looked like one of those things, you know? Uh, but, but he's describing what he sees, and that's what, and it makes sense. That could be a, a very easy natural cause and effect of this, and it would make, the, it had this effect on the sun and how it looked. It would have this effect on the moon and how it looks. We, we've come to recognize that goes on, and, and, and if you want to see them, it's kind of, because you can see videos of these things, too. I mean, there, there's a lot of them on there, and it's just awe-inspiring. And, and, and the headline on one of them said, Apocalyptic Event, or Apocalyptic Dust Storm Hits Phoenix. And I'm going, wow, good choice of words. Works into my sermon really well. <laughs> Apocalyptic things can be real. What a great illustration to, to make a point for the pastor. Uh, and so that may not be what he's describing, but it sure fits the description. It sounds like it. The great earthquake moves mountains and islands. does not mean the great earthquake destroys everything, but it shakes everything, right? There, there, nothing escapes this thing. It's not the end of the world. This is most likely the midpoint of the tribulation. We're, we're, we're halfway through. The first half is done, and the second half is starting. Uh, and, uh, but it's going to be everywhere, right? You know, where we live... One of the things about living here is the definition of an earthquake is something that shakes the ground somewhere else, right? Because, because we've had earthquakes here. I remember waking up, I don't know how many years ago, and people were talking about, did you feel the earthquake last night? Did you feel the earthquake last night? No, man, I was asleep. I didn't feel any earthquake. You know, no walls were cracked. No you know, foundations were shattered. No shells collapsed because we thought we might have felt something like an earthquake. And, and we get excited about that. Right? We go, oh no, I'm shaken. I'm nervous. It could even happen here. Right? And, 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 uh, but imagine when it does happen here and it happens everywhere else, how much you will be, no pun intended, but I don't know another way to say it, shaken. <laughs> I, it's like it's, uh, bothered. I'll say bothered. <laughs> I mean, troubled. Uh, it, w- it will bother the, when, when there are worldwide earthquakes, the entire world will be bothered. Right, the entire world will take notice of it. Uh, it. It will be worldwide in scope. It will be. It will be like nothing no one has ever experienced. I'm not saying people on this planet have not experienced similar earthquakes, but I'm saying the entire planet, in anybody's living memory, has not experienced a similar earthquake. Probably the last time there was an earthquake of such magnitude, Noah was floating around the world in a boat. Right, is, is probably the last time something like that happened. And then the stars. I mean, we're probably talking about a giant meteor storm. Giant meteor storm. I mean, I don't know, but that's what, that's what seems to make most sense. I'm not going to limit God and what he can do in the sky because this could be an event far beyond what I'm imagining. But I imagine a meteor strike. It's, it just seems most likely. And they would certainly add to dust in the air. They would certainly add to smoke in the air. Uh, and they would cause all sorts of disturbance in the weather patterns. But whether this is a, as natural-looking even though unusual, an event as big earthquakes and meteor strikes. And especially if the meteor strikes came first and the earthquakes followed, you can even see cause and effect in that. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not a geologist. I'm not an you know, astrophysicist or anything remotely. I have two syllables in my word. Pastor, you know. <laughs> it's six letters. I can handle it. Okay, so I'm, I'm not any of those things, but... But uh, it, it, uh, all those things cause and effect, it makes sense, and it could look very natural. It could look very natural, but what is impressive about this is people don't interpret it as being natural. Because the same people who have been denying God now start defying God. 
And that is a logical inconsistency. You cannot defy what you deny. Right? Uh, it, 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 just, it just doesn't work. You cannot say, uh, I hate you, boogerman under the bed. <laughs> you know, when you don't believe there's a boogerman under the bed. Because you can, what do you hate the idea of a boogerman under the bed? I suppose that makes sense. Nobody wants to think about a boogerman under the bed. But, but, uh, but you know, you, you have to, you can, only deny, you can only defy things you believe are real. You can't defy something you don't believe is real. It doesn't work. But when we look at this, these, these verses 15 through 17, we find them acknowledging God. Uh, let's see. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. I'll, I'll stop there for a second. The world has been denying God. Now they're trying to hide from God. And it says everyone, right? And you go, kings, great ones, generals, rich, powerful, slave, free. That's everyone, right? He says everyone, and he gives that list. And you want to know what's really fascinating about that list? Watch my fingers. Kings, generals, great ones, rich, powerful, slave, free. Seven. Seven. I don't know if this is a coincidence or if John is saying symbolically everyone because seven is that number of completeness. And, and, and it's, it's just a kind of a fascinating thing. Unless you want to throw in the world, word everyone, that makes it eight, but I think that is kind of unnecessary. He's saying everyone in, in as complete a way as it could possibly said. He describes every category of person and he uses it by describing seven categories, which is a symbolic category, and another way to save everyone. And everyone says, save us from the one on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Right? We, we read what they says. It says, call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? And it's a fascinating phrase, save me from the wrath of the Lamb. <laughs> oh no, here comes a Lamb. <laughs> the world is going to change its opinion about Jesus Christ real fast. The world, the world, yeah, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for many people, it will be too late. And the same, the same God that, that, that we take lightly, or I shouldn't say we, the same God that the world takes lightly and despises the world will suddenly wake up and realize this God is real. And I have offended him. In fact, offended is a really mild world. I have ticked him off, Right? Uh, is what they're going to say. Save us from the one on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. These events could be explained as natural. You know, has anybody ever read a description of the plagues of Egypt where someone tries to make them sound all natural? And those, I, I've read where there was a volcano on the island of such and such, and it would have done this and would chase the locusts, and it would have caused the blackness that followed days later. And, and there's all sorts of natural explanations for the events of the Exodus. I don't care how you explain them. They're not natural. They're supernatural. And the people of the time recognize them as such. 
The people of this time take these natural sounding events, even though, though extraordinary, they sound natural, but they're going to recognize these are not natural. They're going to recognize they, these are God's work. And, and you may have recognized this phenomenon that, peop, uh, uh, that people deny God until something bad happens, and then the same people who denied him before the bad thing happened now blame him. It's like, uh, how can you deny God and then blame him unless you were lying when you denied him in the first place? And who were you deceiving? You were deceiving yourself because you weren't deceiving God. He knew better. You weren't, you, you weren't deceiving. Well, you, 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 you may deceive me so that I think, oh, I guess he really doesn't believe in God. But you know, there's a deeper sense and knowledge of, of what is going on here. And people deny him until the, something bad happens, and, and then they blame him. They say, why would God let this happen? Really good reason, maybe to get your attention. Because you denied him five minutes ago, now this bad thing happens and you're blaming him, at least you're acknowledging him. That's a starting point. Once you acknowledge him, then he's got a foot in the door, and maybe he can do something with that bad thing that happened. In Sunday school today, we're talking about what does it take for God to get your attention and, and, and praying for, for, for someone to come to Christ. And at some point, sometimes we start praying for God to do whatever it takes to get their attention. And that's a scary prayer to pray because God might do something that we do not wish to happen to somebody. I, scary prayers are, are scary to pray. I don't know how else to say it. You're giving God permission to do, of course, God can do anything he wants anyway, but sometimes we actually give him permission. We say, God, if that's what it takes, please do it. Well, at this point, God has got the world's attention, and most of them are simply using that as an excuse to hide from him, but he's got their attention. We have a wood stove in our home. I love my wood stove. <laughs> We've been running it in the mornings and the evenings, and uh, uh, Judah will be there, and we put the grate around it, but he will pull the grate over. So we put the coffee table under it. And he starts crawling under the coffee table. Bad Papa yanks Judah out, spanks him hard, sets him down, goes and sits down. Judah comes running to Papa. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're... Did Papa say, no, thou hast not suffered enough? <laughs> <laughs> Papa picked the kid up and hugged him because Papa, what did Papa, does Papa want the boy to hurt? No, I spanked him because I don't want the boy to hurt, right? And, and, and that's why I'm in favor of spankings, by the way. I'll be a dinosaur for a minute. Spankings allow instant uh, restoration of a relationship. And, and, and that's what it did with Judah. And, and uh, he still likes me. <laughs> Of course, someday he's going to be big and beat me up. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. But that's what's supposed to happen. God gets our attention even through great suffering and hardship sometimes, and now we're ready to listen to him. But what do these people do? They, they, they acknowledge him. Yeah, they acknowledge him, only enough to try to hide from him. And, and, and why would you do that? What do you think you should do when you realize you're fighting God? Do, do you... Say, oh, I'd better develop a better strategy. I'd better get bigger weapons. You know, it's, it's, that's the insanity that Satan is somehow embracing, thinking maybe that he might somehow beat God. But don't you think you should, if God is, is there, the, 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 you know why people uh, are not already dead? 
you know why sinners are not already dead? We kind of talked about this last week. He is patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to, to repentance. Why are we not all already dead as sinners? Because he wants to give us time to repent. And so now he's got your attention. He's giving you a chance to repent. Shouldn't you do that? He does not want to kill you. He wants to rescue you. Right? He wants to redeem you. Uh, but instead, people don't do that. So, so what do we have? We have people. There's just been an earthquake over the entire planet, or series of earthquakes shaking up the entire planet. I, I'm not sure. I mean, when that happens, where do you decide to sleep at night? Do you say, oh, well, that's over and done with. I'm going to sleep in my shaky wreck of a house now? Or do you say, I'm sleeping in the backyard as far away from any structure as possible? See, I'm camping out where nothing can fall on me. Because the whole world is just shaken, and I don't trust the whole world, right? And so I'm, I'm not sleeping under my rock wall, you know? I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going, I'm going where nothing can fall on me, and I'm going to sleep there, right? That, because that's the only place I might fall, feel safe. Now, I'm sleeping in the field because it's the only place I feel safe. What is it going to take to make me run and hide in a cave? The answer is something very scary. I thought a bear might do that. <laughs> right? You're, you're, out, you're out, you're sleeping in the middle of your unfenced backyard, <laughs> and then you all of a sudden you hear some loud, I can't do a bear sound, but you know, big grunting sound, and you look, and there's gentle Ben, you know, except he doesn't look gentle, right? And, and, and you go, run! And then you outrun your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Junior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, because at that point, what are, you're terrified. right? You are terrified, and because you're terrified, you are running to, even if it's a dangerous security, it's more secure than the thing that's immediately there. These people are so terrified of God. They are so terrified of God that, that at the thought of God coming to get them, they run and hide in caves after an earthquake. That's terror. That's not mild fear. That's terror. Uh, it, it, it's hard to imagine how these people feel. And then you, you, you just can't hide from God. Right? We've read that. He's, the light is as dar- the dark is as light to him. He doesn't have any problem seeing. He doesn't have any problem knowing. You want to, this is just an interesting little tidbit about this passage. Last week we looked at the, pa- the fifth seal. This is the sixth seal. Right? Last week we looked at the fifth seal, and in the fifth seal, the, the souls of the martyrs called out from under the altar and said, How long, O Lord, until you judge? What is happening in chapter, with the sixth seal? Fifth seal, they say, How long till you judge? Next seal, he starts judging. He starts to judge. It's kind of interesting, and how horrible it is when it starts to happen. If God begins to judge you while you're still drawing breath, that is a good thing. Because you have opportunity to do something about it. The day will come when God judges you when you cannot draw breath. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone must... uh, 
fight their own judgment? <laughs> no, no, I want a lawyer. <laughs> Let's see, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. At that point, there's nothing we can do about the judgment. But while we are still drawing breath, we can do something about it. The judgment is God's intent to bring us to him so we can walk pleasing to him. So we can have, better than, I won't even say walk pleasing to him, so he can save us. So he can give us eternal life. He wants you to come to him. He does not want to punish you. God does not take joy in punishing his child. I have a fun, it's fun for me to tell the story about spanking Judah. It's not fun to spank Judah. He's 13 months old. You know, who wants to spank a small child? That's, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, I may be, I may have problems, but I'm not that sick. <laughs> right? But there's no joy in that, but there's joy in, among other things, his running up for the hug, and there's joy in seeing him not try to get to the wood stove anymore. Right? It's for his blessing. That's what God is doing. He wants to bless you, not to harm you. He will welcome you into his arms. As long as you are drawing breath, you can come to him. Right? He wants you, but don't wait too long. These people are acknowledging he's there, but instead of running to him, they're running from him. They have so alienated themselves from God that they will oppose him unto death. It's a tragic way to be. They acknowledge him and defy him. Defy him. Do not let that happen to you. Do not let that be your description someday in eternity. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this warning. Lord, I thank you that we live in a time when we do have time to repent. We have opportunity to yield to you and come to you. I thank you that you love us so much that sinners though we are, you keep your arms open wide to us and wait for us. And I just pray you will move in the hearts of any of us, Father, who need to repent and turn to you. That you will, will move, brush away our arguments and our unwillingness and our pride. Father, that we will set those aside and run to you into the arms of Jesus, our Savior. I seek your, ask your blessing and seek your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.